This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. offender being held at CAMH has escaped custody. Jabin Kong was committed to Canada's largest mental health institution in 2016 after killing another boarder in his rooming house with a meat cleaver. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found not criminally responsible. He went missing while he was on an unescorted pass in the community. And not only did he leave the hospital, he actually managed to leave the country and board an international flight flight, most likely to China. Now, this happened on July the 3rd, but we didn't find out about it until this week. The authorities were initially mum, citing privacy concerns, and there were no warnings from police. CAMH has now issued a statement saying it will beef up procedures around passes. Is that good enough? What do you think of that? We are very close by in this neighborhood, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think people here are pretty uneasy about it. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to lawyer Ari Goldkind. Hi, Ari. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm excellent. So what do you make of this? Well, first of all, let's start by just addressing a couple things in your intro, because I covered and dealt with the story fully yesterday. And I've had the opportunity to read, and this would surprise people, the 30 pages of documents that track Mr. Kong's journey throughout the Ontario Review Board, the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, which you're quite right, is very close to where you're sitting right now and it's a very interesting journey and read and the one there's two takeaways from this story Libby that I think are really interesting the circling of the wagons now by CAMH and the ORB specifically CAMH to say we're going to be more strict we're going to have this one person in charge of all these privileges I can tell you Libby having reviewed this case this is not CAMH's fault this is not the fault of the mental health system this is not the fault of the Ontario Review Board. Everything for Mr. Kong was going very, very well. So the idea that they're now going to make it harder for similarly situated people to have their day passes, to be integrated into the community, is exactly the wrong knee-jerk approach. And the second point, Libby, and the far more interesting one to me, is the complete and utter screw-up at Toronto Pearson Airport that let this man get by whatever security checkpoints he had to get by, let him get on to an international flight, and let him get to China. For you and I, Libby, and I'm guessing, Libby, you travel a lot, I do. When you can't take a yogurt and a granola on a plane, you can't take your sunscreen to Cancun, you can't take a bottle of water or baby formula for your kid, and you're getting secondarily screened if you travel with, you know, your little doggy or you bring back an apple from Hawaii. The idea that this man got through Pearson Airport and all of the security there when he's flagged as who he is, 
that to me is the story. And I think the response of privacy and confidentiality and we're not going to tell you anything is horse manure. Okay. Uh, you know, um, the health minister, Christine Elliott, flagged that as well. Uh, let's hear what she had to say a little earlier this morning. KMH is going to do another level of assessment to make sure it's safe for people. So they are taking this seriously. And how this person was able to leave on a plane without a passport is another level of inquiry that I'm following up to see how that could have happened. That's a federal government responsibility. I want to make sure that this is, I can't say it's never going to happen again. It should not happen again, certainly. And I'm going to be following this very closely because I am concerned about the uh, security issues issues relating to the people of Ontario and to find out um, in this particular case what happened where this person was able to walk away. Okay, uh, right now I would also like to bring in Dr. Gary Shamovitz and he is the head of forensic psychiatry at St. Joseph's Healthcare. Uh, Dr. Shamovitz, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, hi Libby, thanks. thanks for having me. Okay, uh, so One of the big issues here, for me anyway, is this happened on July the 3rd. We just found out about it this week. Uh, Dr. Shamovitz, is the public right to be worried about this? I think, I mean, people are worried when when people take off from hospitals when they shouldn't do and when people have committed serious offences. But I I think the worry is overstated. Um, and I got to tell you, you can go and buy a lottery ticket today or stand outside in a lightning storm and you're more likely to win the lottery or be struck by lightning than run into difficulties from, uh, from anybody who has uh, not returned from a past from a forensic program. Um, kind of the other things that people don't quite get is that half, at least half of the forensic psychiatry patients uh, in Ontario live in the community, many of them working, studying, um, living their lives, living independently. And so as part of their reintegration to the community, many people are on passes. Um, Forensic hospitals are not jails. Um, They are charged with keeping the public safe as well as uh, reintegrating the individuals back into the community. Uh, Yeah, but how do you balance that with uh, public safety, Ari Goldkind? I mean, uh, you know, we've had some very, very violent cases. There was the woman who who stabbed someone in a shopper's drug mart. I mean, um, shouldn't the public be informed right away, Ari Goldkind? Well, let me answer it this way, Libby. I did not know you'd have the guest who just spoke, the doctor, who I couldn't have agreed more with everything he said without knowing he was even going to be on. My first answer to you is that no finger should be pointed, and I'll repeat it now that the doctor has just said what he did. No fingers, none, and I can point fingers easily, Libby, I'm not shy, as you know. As I do know, yes. Right, should be pointed to the direction of KMH, and to the point that the doctor makes, let me flesh this out. Public safety, when there's a disposition at the Ontario Review Board, what that means in English for people who don't know, is when somebody's found not criminally responsible, they're sort of done at court. So when you and I talk about court and Harvey Weinstein and Gomeshi and Bernardo, that's a different fish. The Ontario Review Board, once a year, looks at somebody and the paramount concern that they have is public safety. And what would surprise people here, and it's not the narrative that some people will pick up on here, Libby, and that's to their detriment, not mine, is that this man was being watched very, very closely. He was doing well, particularly in late 2018, 2019, in the community. There were no issues. 
no incidents. Yes, he said about 100 times to his doctors, I'm going to go to China to join my mother. But from a public safety point of view, Libby, if this man didn't get on that flight, let's be very clear. If this man didn't get on that flight and was living in Toronto as he has been for quite some time, with a lot of time spent in the community, there would be nothing to see here. There's no danger to public safety so long. And this is the big caveat, Libby. So long as he is under the supervision of CAMH and doing well on his medication. Right now, Libby, and I don't know how many people are listening to you in China, but let's hope two billion. There's a real danger in China because now he's there unmedicated, which could lead to some issues, not of the violence that led to him necessarily stabbing with a meat cleaver his roommate, but there is now a significant danger because he's now in the community untreated. Dr. Shamovitz, uh, how do you monitor if somebody is taking their medication? Right. So, so first of all, when people are in the forensic system, um, they're generally detained in the hospital. So we offer people medications. We watch them take the medications. We measure blood levels. Many of our patients who enter the community on long-acting injectables, medications that last for one month, and there's some that last for three months. And obviously, um, we need to make sure people are adhering to meds in the community. So they take the injection. We know they're good for a month or three months. They don't take the injection. We bring them straight back into hospital. So, uh, again, was he living in the hospital uh, with passes in the community, or was he not living in the hospital? So, so I mean, you probably you probably know as much as I do. I mean, I run a forensic drug in, in, in Hamilton area. Um, one of the soundest things that gentleman you're talking about uh, was from the hospital, um, as often happens, and it happens every day. Patients are out in the community for an hour, for three hours for the day, going to work. Um, and it sounds like he was on what we would call an indirectly supervised pass. I think it was described as unaccompanied, given that gives an itinerary and he has to abide by that and has to return. The other thing I want to say is that not coming back from a pass is very different from reoffending. And the reoffense rate for forensic patients is so much lower than out of the criminal justice system. Um, so, and that's because people are gradually integrated into the community. So the fact that people don't come back on time or come back late um, doesn't equate with reoffense. The reoffense rate is incredibly low um, in the forensic system. Uh, Libby, can I add to that for a moment? Sure. Because you mentioned something to your listeners as an aside, and I thought it was an important one, and let me pick up from what the doctor said. You mentioned the past stabber, Rohini Bissasar. You didn't say her name, but that's who we're talking about, who was found NCR. And a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She stabbed this uh, very unfortunate victim, Miss Junior, in the past in downtown Toronto in a shopper's drug mart. How can she ever see the light of day again? What the doctor says should, is actually fleshed out with very, very, very accurate statistics. And what the public should know, and again, it goes against the narrative and the Kool-Aid a little bit of this story, but the recidivism rate, the return to crime rate for the general population of inmates, the regular garden variety criminal, is so much massively higher than anybody that your guest, the doctor, or I are speaking about, that it's actually 
almost statistically unbelievable. And it's a testament, which is why the narrative here is all about the screw-up at Pearson. It's not about the Ontario Review Board or CAMH leaving us all dangerous. That's a statistic that people actually are very surprised to hear. They would think, oh, if you're schizophrenic, if you're mentally ill and you're living in the community or you're getting some increased freedom, you're a ticking time bomb. It's actually quite the opposite. And if people think through their nightly news, how many times you see some gangbanger charged with a gun crime or something, and six years earlier, they just did four years for another gun crime, that'll give people the taste of what I'm saying. But it's important that people don't throw shade or mentally ill people under the bus, particularly when they're being well-supervised in the community. Well, I, I, is the public wrong to want to be informed? I mean, this two weeks, I mean, it, it's it's nerve-wracking. And I want to throw it out to our audience, the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. I mean, should we have been told about this earlier? Dr. Shemovitz? Well, I, I, I don't know about the specific case, but what what is what is apparent is that there are many people who are being reintegrated in communities who don't come back on time from passes, don't show up at their uh, residences on time, are late returning to hospital. The vast majority of those people come back in a short period of time, within a day, under their own steam. There's, there is no risk at that point to the public. It is only when the risk escalates. In other words, if someone's on a medication for a month, and they haven't been located, they haven't returned within a week, maybe then in a month's time that the risk begins to escalate. The vast majority of people who don't come back are not a risk to to anybody. And as I say, you're more likely to win the lottery than to be involved with somebody like that. To send out messages all the time uh, runs the risk of getting people upset for no reason. When there's a real risk, we need to notify the public so they can be alert. But you know, making a notification every week or two that somebody is not returned from the past, I think, is not helpful. Well, no it one's, depends. No one's at risk. If it's if it's somebody who was who was there because they killed someone, right? So this this cuts to the heart of the criminal the the NCR. We in in our progressive societies believe that if your mental disorder was sufficiently active, that it caused you to commit an offence or do anything. Um, that you otherwise wouldn't have done, you may not be held responsible. Um, so the forensic system is not a jail, and all you need to do is have a relative or friend who has been um, affected by a psychotic episode and behaved out of keeping with their normal selves. And you realize sending somebody like that to jail for 5, 10, 20 years for something that they, in their well state, would never have done uh, is, is, is wrong. The forensic system rehabilitates people who've been found not criminally responsible, and, this is, and our society is much safer because of that. Um, and I say, just being close to somebody who's been involved um, makes you appreciate um, the importance of the system. The fact that you killed somebody when you're unwell, you're highly unlikely to do that again, um, statistically. And generally, you respond exceptionally well to medications. Um, it's also a very small percentage of people who, in the forensic system, have committed serious offence. So that's another important, uh, an important point. There are, what, about 1,600 people not criminally so, responsible? So, so, so in, in Ontario, there are about 1,600 people under the Ontario Review Board 
um, spread out around um, 10 forensic hospitals in the province. Um, more than half of those people are living in the community. We do have one maximum secure facility um, at, in Penetanguishene, and the other facilities are secure with, as I say, patients in hospital and more patients who are living in the community under the auspices of the review board and the hospital. Ari, what do you say to people, you know, uh, we're listening to you, you're assuring us that everything's fine, Uh, the problem is with the federal authorities or the border services, whoever let this guy get on a plane, Uh, but what do you say to people who say, well, maybe that's a little uh, paternalistic, say, and, and we should know if somebody who has a history of murder is uh, out in the community or who knows where. Okay, so here's my answer. I'll be as straightforward as I can. Those people who say that, while the concern has some validity to it, they're just flat out wrong because they're, all, they're working under the premise, and this is important to their concern. They're working under the premise that this person is just in the community, going to Canada's Wonderland, going back to their place at night, not supervised, not on medication. And by the way, Libby, to your question about public safety, let me say, Part of the disposition from the Ontario Review Board is that the police are told where and when this person will be in the community. That's part of this that people should know. So it's not as if they're released into the community and the police are not ordered by law to be told where they are. Where the real screw-up comes, and you mentioned this again in the intro, so I want to focus on what you said, is this guy disappears on July 2. A press release goes out two weeks later that says we're looking for him in the Queen and Ossington area. We're worried about his safety. This is two weeks after he boarded an international flight. So at that point, does the public have a right to not get a ridiculous press release that speaks to my point, which is there's a real screw-up with the authorities? That, to me, is the part of the story, which is how did this happen? But to the average person who is out in the community, They have more supervision going on. I want to make this point, Libby, and I think people can visualize it. They have more supervision as an NCR person, even if they've committed murder, when they're released, than the average violent person who has been released on parole, whether you call them a child abuser, a child molester, a bank robber, a gun runner. These people that the doctor and I are speaking about have more management and structure in their life than almost any other parolee in Canada. Dr. Shamovitz, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, uh, yeah, what I'd like to say is that look, no system's perfect. If there was a solution for violence in our society, you know, we'd be parachuting all over the world trying to sort things out. The forensic system does a lot of things, and it does it quietly. Um, the women and men clinicians, not security officers, police officers or correctional officers, are working with a group of people who've committed offences because of their mental disorder. We assess risk, we predict risk, we manage risk, and more importantly, we mitigate risk. So when people are in the community, it's because we're charged to protect the public and to rehabilitate the patients that we, we serve. Those patients are generally in a better position at the end of their time in the forensic system or in the forensic system and are unlikely to reoffend, and their lives are healthier and the lives of people around them. If you are really concerned, go wait for warrant expiry for people coming out of corrections. Dropping somebody in the community without any treatment, without any rehabilitation, those are the people, as Ari was saying, we need to be worried about. They're out there. They're, they're They're out there doing stuff. The forensic patients, for the most part, 
we've made a hell of a big difference, and this is a very positive thing for our society. Okay, we actually do have a few more minutes to delve into this. And uh, again, Ari, um, back to how this would have happened. Do you have any sense? Is it border services? Uh, you know, where does the buck stop on this well, one? Let's go actually into the weeds here, Libby, because you know that I always like the details, and the devil is in the details. And reading through the 30 pages of dispositions from the ORB, here's the answer to your question. He, throughout the last three years, has said, as I said before, and I'm not joking about this, Libby, he said about a hundred times, I'm going to leave here and go join my mother in China. That's what I'm going to do. Over and over, he was questioned and told, you know, you don't want your permanent resident card, don't you want your ID so you can get some integration in the community? And he never even wanted his permanent resident card. How he obtained travel documents, or, as the quote that you had earlier from the minister, if he didn't have a passport, how he got on a plane at Pearson, to me, Libby, those are the answers that the public deserves. And the idea that we need some inquiry or some internal investigation, when I can assure you, if he committed a terrorist attack on that plane, or if he stabbed somebody on that plane, you can imagine the heck to pay that there would be with the authorities. So the fact that people are even trying to I won't use the word cover-up. That's not appropriate. But there should be a full release today from border services or the RCMP. You pick your federally paid for by us taxpayers entity that should say, we have all the footage of him coming into the airport. The entire airport, Libby, is under surveillance. He did this. Then he did this. Then he took a boarding pass. Then he printed whatever it is. This is what the public should know. And if it turns out to be a series of understandable human screw-ups, well, we'll get to that. But the idea that the public, and again, I say this because of the indignity so many people face at the airport when they travel, from taking your shoes off so stupidly, to removing your belt, to giving up your bottle of water, and all these other various and other indignities under the ruse, the ruse of security. And it is a ruse, by the way, Libby, for those who understand uh, these security checkpoints. This is something, in my view, that the public really deserves an answer, because what if, Libby, this wasn't just the man we're talking about? What if it's a person out on bail for serious, serious crimes? Both of those people, Mr. Kong, who we're talking about, and somebody out on bail for serious crimes who has to turn up their passport and can't leave the province of Ontario, can they just board a flight to China? When they feel like doing it, that's why I think there's a broader public interest here in understanding how our airport on July 2, or whenever he flew out, was so completely porous to a guy who would be flagged in the computer police system that would be there and to be accessed at Pearson. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Shamovitz, do you have a, a, a view on this? Well, I think as I just laid it out, I mean, I think that there are questions around what happened at the airport that's um, essentially not a forensic psychiatry issue, um, and I think we, we don't know we don't know what the inquiry is going to to reveal, and um, otherwise we're just speculating on that. So, 
Well, I mean, it is incredible that he was able to leave. But uh, if if he's uh, in China, um, if he's in China, then, uh, um, you know, he's, uh, I guess, n- not our problem anymore, uh, to put it well, that way. Well, he'll be brought back if he's, uh, well, he may, depending on the authorities, but most, most people who have fled the jurisdiction, and people sometimes do take off and go to other countries, um, there are ways of returning people back to um, back to Canada. Um, if he's in China, and I, and I guess we're speculating on that, um, if he's in China, then um, they will have their local ways of dealing with him. But, I mean, Harry raises good points about how, how this is possible, and I think it's not just about him, it's how is, how is this possible for anybody who is otherwise flagged or doesn't have travel documents. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, presumably, uh, we will get to the bottom of this. But there is a sense in all of this that there's circling of the wagons, that, uh, you know, um, there's a bit of a finger pointing from one to the other. Yeah, I, mean, that, I mean, that tends to, I mean, that tends to happen after untoward events. Um, the, the business we're involved in in forensic psychiatry, it's a, it's, it's a complicated, complex um place right it's healthcare it's criminal justice um monitoring it's people's individual rights the public's right to be safe somebody's right to be rehabilitated and so we cross a number of 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 sectors and, and when things go wrong um there's a tendency um for everybody to you know look internally and um you know see where the errors were if there were any errors and sometimes there were no errors um hopefully there's no finger pointing but but certainly people tend to circle wagons a little bit. I think that's a normal um, behavior. If that happened at our shop, um, we would be, um, you know, we would be doing our own internal reviews to make sure we followed our processes and nothing was, nothing, nothing we did was wrong. Um, that's probably routine from all the agencies or services that were involved um, and may have touched um, a man like this. Ari, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier, Libby, is that, you know, there is a lot of consternation in the public. And I can assure you I'm not being defense lawyery here. I'm speaking as a person who also lives in the community that wants to be safe. And I don't drink the defense lawyer Kool-Aid half the time, as people know. This really isn't a failing of the mental health system. This is not a failing of doctors, nurses, CAMH, the ORB, and if people actually read the documents, the 30 pages about this man's journey through the mental health system, again, and I I don't like to repeat myself, if he didn't get on that plane, Libby, there would literally be nothing to this story about the fact that he's living amongst us, he reports to CAMH once a week, he's medication compliant, not perfectly, Libby, and there are some issues culturally with him in these reports, But really, the story here is, as I have flagged it, for all of those people who like to create a bogeyman or a boogeyman, however one pronounces it, he is not that. And people should be very cautious to point their finger where it doesn't belong, particularly in a society, Libby, that somehow pulls its punches at really pointing their finger at the truly violent amongst us who are not mentally ill, but that are simply vicious or evil, or have no impulse control. This man is not those three things, and the public should be very comfortable with the kind of care and treatment he got, even after a god-awful act, 
which god-awful act was because he was untreated. So the idea that he's China's problem now, I certainly wouldn't want to be his mother in an apartment where he's no longer taking his medication for a year. I'm being hyperbolic, but things were done quite well here, Libby, even though that doesn't make as good of a soundbite as saying somebody at the hospital screwed up. Okay, well, we haven't uh, said who has screwed up, and uh, hopefully we will get more information and more clarity on this story. Thanks very much, criminal lawyer Ari Goldkind and Dr. Gary Shamovitz, who is the head of forensic psychiatry at St. Joseph's Healthcare. Thank you both. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.